in September 1853, a little three-masted clipper slipped quietly out of Liverpool Harbour with a gaunt, wild-eyed 21-year-old missionary on board. He was headed for a country that was only just coming into the Christian Wests, for want of a better phrase, consciousness. There was a few dozen missionaries there already, but that was about it. I'm talking, of course, about Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China. James and Emily, who've been in China for the last few years, their son is called Hudson in uh, honor and memory of this man. If you know your church history, you'll know that he not only transformed mission in China, but he actually transformed the face of mission full stop at that time. He was someone who went all in for Jesus. By the time he died a century, half a century later, China was viewed as one of the most fertile, although challenging, mission fields uh, in the world. There were thousands of people there serving. And if you know anything about recent church history in China, you'll know it's one of the fastest growing churches in the world, despite the political regime. Hudson Taylor went all in. In fact, he said this uh, not long before he died. If I had 1,000 lives, I'd give them all for China. If I had 1,000 lives, I'd give them all for China. That's how committed he was to what he knew God had called him to. I was speaking uh, last week to someone who's uh, just joined All Saints, moved to Worcester over the summer, and they were asking me just to elaborate a little more on our sense of mission and purpose as a church. I told them that we understand our mission uh, simply to be joining with God in the renewal of all things. That's what God is doing in and through the church. And so we join in on that as God's people individually and together as a bit of his church. I explained that our vision is currently defined like this, to be a growing community of kingdom people formed of multiple smaller communities in and through which our lives and our city are radically transformed by God's love, grace, and power. And then before I could get to our five strategic priorities or some of the goals that we've got for this year, I found myself telling some stories of what some of you get up to as the church in the world, of some of the things that we do together as the church in our city, for our city. And I got excited again about all the possibilities for you and for me and for us and for the city. But I also found myself overwhelmed at the sheer enormity of the task. You see, guys, we're not just here to fix up the building shabby chic, as I described it to someone recently. It takes a long time to perfect this look. <laughs> We're not just here to get the pews out and some comfy chairs in so we can use the building more, although we will. We're not just here to develop some more programs for discipleship and mission, although we will. We're not just here to double the congregation size so that we can say we're a bigger church, although hopefully that will happen. They're all part of the plan, but actually what I want to see is hundreds of people coming to faith. I want to be having to have regular baptism services because there's a backlog of people waiting to be dunked, the holy dunking. I want us to plant some churches, and we will. 
I want you and me to work together for the kingdom by being entrepreneurial in the way that we raise money and the businesses we set up and so we can do it with a social conscience. I've got all sorts of ideas. Because what I want to see, what I think we're called to do, is to love our city back to life. We're called to go and serve it, to be hands and feet, to tell people about Jesus with our words and our lives. It's not a vision to have a nicer, happier church, although hopefully that will come as we do it. And so here's the deal. Unless all of us, all of us go all in, we can't do it. It's that simple. Every book I've read, every conference I've been to, every expert church leader I've consulted says, in the average church, 20% of the congregation are really going for it. And the rest on some scale, between not entirely sure why they're even there, through to on a good day. And that isn't going to work. You can make a nicer, happier church that way, but you can't transform a city that way. And so I'm audacious enough still, maybe young enough still, have enough faith still to believe that 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 could be our figure of 100%. I believe that. But here's the rub. That will only happen if you first decide, again and again and again, that you're going to go 100% in with Jesus Christ. And there's only so much I can do to encourage you in that direction. And I know it's hard because I'm not there yet either. Trust me. You cannot, you cannot become all that God has for you, everything he saved you for, unless you go all in with Jesus. We cannot be the kind of church that we're called to be unless each one of us goes all into Jesus and then from that place says, now I'm all into this church because I'm all into mission because we're all into seeing this city transformed. Therefore, I'm going to give what I have. I'm going to lay my life down. It starts with Jesus, not church, not mission. It starts not on Sunday morning, but Monday morning, tomorrow morning. When you get up and you make a decision for that day, to go all in. And my job is to encourage you and to inspire you and sometimes to give you a holy kick up the butt. Did I just say that in church? It's from the original Hebrew. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack what that looks like. What does it mean to go all in to Jesus, to church, to mission, to giving? Today we're talking about Jesus. It starts there. And hopefully you'll see a logic to what we do. As a bit of a heads up, uh, we're having a gift day on Sunday the 15th of October. That's the last Sunday in this little series. And uh, that's so that you can come, hopefully having prayerfully reviewed how you're going to commit what you have to this church. Finances, time, gifts, talents, resources. And next week there'll be some information ready to help you uh, make that decision to inform your prayers. I'd love you to be here on the 15th of October. I'd love it to be an act of worship where we say, this is what I have and this is what God's called me to give and so here it is. We were praying this morning beforehand and Owen just reminded us of the picture up there of the boy in the window of the the boy from the story where he brings his fish and his bread, this little picnic 
That's all he had, but God used that to feed 5,000 people. That's how it works. Don't miss out. Be part of the adventure. And so Jesus is where it starts. It has to come first. You know, actually, church and mission and giving, they actually don't make any sense unless you've committed to following Jesus. It's just another thing to do. It's just another commitment to manage. It's just another bunch of people to try and love. It's just another thing that gets in the way of something else in your diary. But if actually you've resolved to follow Jesus Christ, then it makes complete sense. It's the best thing to sink your time and money and everything into. It pays the greatest return on that investment. No pension pot can compete. And when it comes to following Jesus... He actually made it really clear, and he made it really simple. And I think what's interesting about Western Christianity is that we quite like making it a bit more complicated, because it gives us a whole load of excuses. It allows us to just slightly inoculate ourselves from the reality that we cannot have it all. Jesus is looking at you and me, and he's saying, will you come all in with me? From day one, that's been his message. He'll work with what we give him. He's gracious like that. But what he wants is all of us. All of us, all of the time. Not just a bit of me when I feel like it. All of me, all of the time. Regardless, actually, of whether I feel like it. And regardless, actually, of the cost. There's some detail in the reading we just had from the gospel. It's a story that's in all of the gospels in some way, shape, or form. It's the the calling of those first disciples. And and notice some of the language here. Oh, actually, we haven't got it on the slide. Mark chapter 1. Come follow me, Jesus said. I I will send you out to fish for people. And then it says this. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, this is from Mark's gospel, and I've said to you before, Mark is like the kind of like thriller version. He cuts out the detail just to kind of cut to the chase. It's the adventure. But you go and read the other other stories in the other gospels, there's more detail. What it means is that they literally left everything. Not, Not just for a couple of hours to go and listen to him, like forever. There and then. The nets. It means, it's shorthand for they gave up their career. And that was a family business, so they left the family business. They left their family at home. They left everything that represented identity and status and security to follow Jesus, to be all in. Why? Because they knew who he was and they believed in what he was doing. So they're in. It says, uh, when he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee. I'd love to meet someone called Zebedee. Anyone ever christened their kid Zebedee? Go for it. And his brother John in a boat, preparing the nets. Without delay, he called them. And what did they do? They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They literally left their dad halfway through a fishing trip because they're all in. This isn't hyperbole. This is what happened. Not just once with those guys, over and over and over again. 
And it's not there just to make us go, oh, weren't they keen? It's there to challenge us. When God speaks to you, when Jesus says something to you as a follower of him, do you respond at once without delay? Or do you go, well, I better pray about that. (laughs) No, there are times where you have to pray about it because you need to discern, is it really Jesus or not? But a lot of the time we don't need to pray. It's just a little delaying tactic. Friends, unless each one of us resolve again and again and again to go all in with Jesus, not only will we not discover for ourselves the life that we're saved for, but we deny ourselves as a church something of the adventure that we're called on to. And when you don't show up because you can't be bothered or something else seems more important, when you don't wade in with your time and your money and your talents, we lose out as a family. And something of our mission to this city gets hindered and delayed. And I don't want to lead a church like that. I don't want to lead a life like that. And so my job periodically, increasingly, is simply just to turn up occasionally and go, and you all go, yeah. What I really want is not you to tell me in whenever I get around to finishing, that was great. I want you to tell me next week what you did this week in response. That's what I'm looking for. Did you at once, without delay, go respond somehow to the word proclaimed afresh this morning? Here's how Jesus put it in other ways. Look at this. It's there in the scriptures. Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's really simple. It's very hard. I I get that, but it's really simple. Matthew 12. He says this, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is not a kind of, uh, on a good day, 50% in Christianity that he's offering. It's like, uh, it's all or nothing, guys. If you're not consciously, deliberately, intentionally gathering in the lost sheep, then you are by definition scattering, is what he's saying. Now, he's provoking and he's challenging, but what he's trying to say is, guys, all in, please. Come on. Look at this in Revelation chapter 3, the letters, the seven letters to the churches, and they were real churches, but every theologian will tell you that seven is the perfect number in the scriptures. So it also has this kind of application to every church that follows, these seven warnings, these seven challenges, okay? And here's one of them, Revelation chapter 3. It's written to the church in Laodicea, and it says this. These are the words of the Amen, Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds... That you are neither hot, sorry, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Don't worry about that last phrase. This is a revelation, whole of the conversation. But what you do need to notice is this. Jesus is looking at this church and he says you're lukewarm. It's this all or nothing thing again. I'd rather you were cold than lukewarm. Come on. 
And I think Jesus looks across the church in this country, and he looks at my life and probably all of our lives, if I'm honest, and he sees lukewarm faith. There might be some days where the temperature's gone up a bit, for sure. But uh, uh, take an average. How hot are we? Individually and corporately, how hot are we? Or are we lukewarm? The data would suggest we're pretty lukewarm collectively. Despite all the innovations and tweaks to how we do church, the numbers of people connecting with the church is down year on year. When did you last lead someone to faith? When did you last even share your faith with someone? When did you last bring someone to church? When did you last get up early to pray? When did you last turn down something that could have gone in your diary so you could just get stuck into the things of the kingdom? Jesus is looking for all-in followers. Will we get on a ship with a one-way ticket to see a nation come to know him? Will we give our lives a thousand times over so that the people of Worcester can be transformed by the gospel? Will we lay down our lives as living sacrifices? Will we slay our ego and pride and self-reliance on the altar of worship? Or will we continue to go so far but not all the way? So far, God, but no further, because at that point, I'm not prepared to pay any more cost. I quite like the life the world offers me, thanks very much. How much cost are we prepared to pay? It has to cost you. And either it's going to cost you in discipleship, or it's going to cost you your discipleship. It's that simple. It's so much easier to do it if we're all doing it together, right? Are we willing to give up the trappings of this life for the glory of the next? Are we willing to put Jesus first and just simply be obedient to him? Or are we lukewarm? Our culture says to us, you can have it all. It's a complete lie. Even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you're not a person of faith, you can't have it all. Some do at the expense of everybody else. That's fundamentally a problem. It should be a problem for us. Do our lives perpetuate social division or not? But the truth is, the minute you follow Jesus, you cannot simply have it all. You just can't. You have to compromise somewhere. And so the question is, what are you compromising? Your walk with the Lord or something of this life? You can't have both in their entirety. You just can't. And you will die trying. It will kill you. It will deny you something. And that means we are denied something. And that means we deny the city something. You've got to decide which story you're going to live in. Are you going to live in the kingdom of God's story? Or are you going to live in the consumer narrative of our culture? You can't live in both. Pick one. Stop trying to kind of reconcile the two. You can't. One is at odds with the other. One is sent to transform the other. One leads to life. One doesn't. 
Which one are you going to go all in on? Which one am I going to go all in on? What are we going to do as a church? What's going to mark us out as uniquely different? Going all in with Jesus. And then saying, whatever the cost, whatever the consequence, so be it. That's the call. No turning back. Like Hudson Taylor. I said on email this week that... um, but we had some big and exciting news to share with you this weekend, something I've been waiting to tell you for a long time, actually. You'll know if you've been around that we've been asked by the diocese, by the bishop, to become what's known in the Anglican church these days as a resource church. I'm going to talk a lot more about that next week, so come back to hear that. And as part of that commitment to us, uh, the diocese have created a new uh, post here uh, of associate vicar. It's a full-time paid role, funding for five years. Now, we already have an associate vicar, Paul Swan, who was the vicar before me. He's not paid by the diocese. He does that voluntarily while he does other things. This is a full-time paid associate vicar role. And that's in addition to a curate, which is a training role. And we get a curate every four years. And the plan is potentially to have more than one at a time. We'll see. Now, Owen here has been our curate, in fact still is our curate, Um, and at the end of your third year as a curate you get officially signed off if you've been a good boy or girl and done enough funerals and baptisms basically. Uh, And so Owen is now free, if he would like to, to go off somewhere else. His curacy finishes next June, so at that point if he hasn't decided to do something else then he has to go. Um, The good news is he isn't going anywhere because... Stand up. Turn round, turn round. Feel the love. Um, Owen has said yes to being the, the associate vicar. It's not the world's best kept secret, but lots of you didn't know that. And. Um, that's an absolute joy for Kath and I and the team, and that's an expression of their commitment as a family to being all in uh, to this thing we're doing as All Saints. They could have gone all sorts of places, trust me. They're hot property. So we've done well to keep them. Uh, we are licensing, well, I'm not. The Bishop of Dudley, Bishop Graham, is licensing Owen as the Associate Vicar on the 3rd of December uh, at 6.30 in the evening gathering at St. Helens. You're all invited, and we'll remind you of that near the time. I'd love to pack out the place. We'll have a party afterwards, uh, and then uh, in June next year, we'll have a curate joining us as well. So we're building the team. That's good news, right? Very exciting. So guys, why go all in? Why go all in? I mean, sure, Rich, that's what Jesus says, but why? Is it worth it? I wrote down a list of things in my journal the other day as I was thinking about this for me. Okay, and I'm just going to share these with you. I want to be all in because... I believe that my highest calling is to love and serve God. It's, it's not to just do this life the best I can on my own terms and join in with everyone else. That's not the call of my life. I'm all in because my heart breaks as I walk through the city and I see the poor and the vulnerable and the struggling and the neglected and the persecuted, those walking in darkness who don't even know there's a great light. I'm all in because I know actually that I find my life when I lose it for Jesus. 
I've gone all in as much as I can so far because I know that the real treasure is not found in this life. It's found in the one to come. My story, our story is that God's provided for our every need. Not our every want, but he never promised to do that. And so I'm all in. I trust him. And right now for us, that means huge faith. I'm all in because I want to look back on my life. I want to be sitting... Uh, on some sort of, well, rocking chair in an old folks' home with Owen. <laughs> we need to get the other Owen back. And be going, do you know what? That life we lived, uh, and Laura, hopefully, <laughs> and Kath, I should have said that. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but we've had that conversation, Owen and I. And look back and go, oh, the only way you make sense of any of that was that we went all in, and God breathed all over it. That's the kind of life I want. I don't want to get to some age and go, oh, man, I just never really did it, did I? Maybe some of those things resonate with you. I want to finish by saying a couple of things about how we actually do it. Some of the things that I think you and I need to put into practice afresh or maybe for the very first time as disciples of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, it's really simple but really hard. Let's keep it simple. And let's champion each other as we do this. If you're in a small group, you know, some sort of midweek community, encourage each other, pray for one another. You know, it's this simple, but this hard. You make a decision every day to say yes to a life of faithfulness and obedience. Whatever the cost and whatever the consequences, that's how you follow Jesus Christ. Faithfulness and obedience. It's not at the end of the time, at the end of the day, Jesus is not going to say to us as we enter glory, well done, good and successful servant. He's not going to say, well done, good and wealthy servant. He's not going to say, well done, good and snappily dressed servant, Paul Barton. He's not going to say, well done, love what you did with your house. He's going to say, well done good and faithful servant. See, we offer faithfulness in obedience and the faithful one does the rest. We bring our bread and our fish, our lives, however screwy they are, and by the way, our lives are all collectively more screwy than we often think. We're very good at hiding it. And then he says, I can work with that because it's the direction of travel he's interested in. Not what we present, how well sorted we are, but whether we want to get sorted. And whether we believe in our broken state, in our imperfection, God can work through us. Of course he can. He did it with those early disciples. If you can do it with them, boy, you can do it with you and me, seriously. The thing that marked them out as different is they said, yes, whatever the cost. And he did the rest. There's a couple of verses that just uh, have kind of leapt out to me over the summer as I've been preparing this in my heart that reminded me of just how simple this is. Check out um, Mark chapter 9, verse 7. I think it's on the screen. This is the transfiguration. A cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus speaks. All the time. Are we listening? Yes, hopefully. And then are we obedient? 
So notice this. This is John chapter 2. Mary, his mum, wades in on this one. That's what mums do uh, in love, I'm sure. She's very proud of him. She knows who he is. The wedding at Cana, they run out of wine. It's a social disaster. Uh, The servants come to uh, try and sort it out. Um, His mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. If you do those two things, that will cause you to live the all-in life. Listen to what Jesus says and do what he tells you. Listen, do. That's it. Listen and do. Faithfulness and obedience. Whilst agonizing over how to reach the millions of people in China who didn't know Jesus, Hudson Taylor was praying and recalls a moment when he was walking with God and God spoke to him. Here's what he said. There, the Lord conquered my unbelief, and I surrendered myself to God for this service. I told him that all responsibility as to the issues and consequences must rest with him, that as his servant, it was mine to obey and to follow him. His responsibility was to obey and to follow. All the consequences of that were God's problem. God pays for what he orders. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll provide for you. We're in this together. I'll lead and guide you. Just follow me. Faithfulness and obedience. At that point, Hudson Taylor's ministry went boom. Why? Because he took massive risks for the gospel. He stopped playing it safe. And every historian of that missionary revival says that was the point where the whole thing took off. Had nothing to lose at that point because he got it. He went all in. And so here are the two questions that every disciple should be asking every day. What is Jesus asking me to do? And why don't I do it? What is Jesus asking me to do? And why don't I do it? And sometimes he's asking you to do massive things that turn your life upside down. And sometimes he's asking us to do little things that can be just as difficult. Sometimes he's saying, will you just help get the job done? Thank you for those of you who've painted our old offices over the summer. Thank you. You've been amazing. There's another week to go. Some of you perhaps might be being asked by Jesus to turn up with a paintbrush and throw your bit of time in to the family effort. Sometimes it's just that simple. Someone has to put the chairs away. But often it's more demanding than that. It's will you cross the road for the person who's not like you and sit with them? Will you pick up that situation at work that no one wants to touch and bring God's gospel light into it? And by the way, the short answer to why we don't do it is fear. What you've got to go away and work out is, what am I afraid of? But that's what it is. Which is why Jesus says that perfect love casts out all fear. So if he's asking you to do it, you don't actually need to be afraid. It could be the best decision you've ever made. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit to asking those two questions every morning for a week. And come back on Sunday and tell me that life's been really boring. (laughs) That everything's the same, nothing needs to change. You're sorted. You won't. But please would you do that? I'm going to email you all to remind you. 
here's the deal. I'm going to finish with this. And I know I'm running slightly over time. We're only doing what Jesus has already done for us. Jesus went all in for you and for me. He was faithful to what God asked him to do. He was obedient even unto death. Death on a cross. And he says... Will you pick up your cross, your cross, and follow me? The one who laid down his life for us, he calls us his friends, says, now will you lay down your life for me? That's discipleship. That's where it starts. You don't do it once back in the day when you came to faith. You do it every day. It's really hard, but it's really simple. Luke 22, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray, etc. They fall asleep, etc. Here's what happens. He says to the Lord, to the Father, sorry, the Lord says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's what Jesus prayed. Not my will, but yours Faithfulness and obedience. And so Paul writes in Philippians, and this is from the message paraphrase. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. It's good language for us, isn't it, in our culture? Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. He went all in. And you and I are called to follow the way of Jesus. That means we are called to live a selfless, obedient life, to put to death those things that stop us from doing it so we can take up life in all its fullness, offered only in Jesus. And then from that place to say, right, church, yes. This imperfect church that could be better, yes, I'm in. And yes, Worcester, or wherever you live, I'm in. And so what have I got? What's in my bank account? What's in my house? What's in my heart? What am I good at? What's in my diary? What needs to come out so that can go in? And in. Because one day, we will walk on into glory. We will see Jesus in his risen form. And he'll say to you and to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's a crown. And then we'll lay it before his feet. Because it'll all be worth it. Don't be seduced by the alternative. Go all in. In his last bit of writing, Hudson Taylor, and I'll finish with this, said this, China is not to be won for Christ by quiet, ease-loving men and women. The stamp of men and women we need is such as will put Jesus, China, and souls first and foremost in everything. And at every time, even life itself must be secondary. And so the question I'm asking us, 
is will we put Jesus, Worcester, and its people first and foremost in everything we do and the way we do it? That's the invitation. That's the, that's the call. That's the challenge. And we can't go a huge amount further until again, as a church and as individuals, we say yes to that. So let's pause for a moment and ask the band to come and just be ready. We're going to have a final song in a moment, but let's take some time before we go and collect children to think and to pray. To resolve in your hearts and in your minds that you're going to go all in. And during this song in a moment, we'll, we'll give you the opportunity to, to demonstrate that commitment by uh, coming to the middle or the front and just consecrating your life again, moving from where you are to somewhere else to, to say to God, I'm going to shift in this. I'm not going to sit comfortably in my pew. I'm going to move. And yes, someone will watch you, but you might be the person that gives them courage to get up and come and say, I'm in. What's he saying to you? What's he asking you to do? And why aren't you doing it? What is Jesus asking you to do? What's it going to look like? What's going to have to change? What do you need to give away? What do you need to downsize? What do you need to reevaluate?